doing, Terry? Hello, Michelle. How's it going? Going pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What's got you so giggly? It's the latest I think we've ever started to record an episode in Terry. Definitely due to me. It's tomorrow morning already. Yeah. Yep. I had a busier evening than I thought. Busy, yeah, busier than I thought I would be. And Stephanie was kind and patient enough to hang back. Luckily, she is more of a night owl than I am. So she's uh, leading leading the, the troops here tonight. So Michelle's idea was uh, to talk about scientific misconceptions. Um, I can give the I can give the what, background story. Yeah, what I was gonna say. Can you can you can you remind me what triggered this? Idea? Yeah. So uh, at my work recently in Terrabang, it came up in conversation where a coworker of mine was describing the the dynamic and the relationship with their fiance, and they were just trying to explain how how different and complementary they are to, to each other. And they went about to say, well, yeah, so my fiance, they are much more left-brained and much more uh, like things to be orderly and organized and linear thinking, whereas I am right-brained. And so my thinking is oftentimes more circular and I'm more creative and abstract thinking. And I... So, okay. And I kind of just paused. And I just asked this person, like, when you say left brain or, or right brain, what do you mean by that? Like, do you really mean like you have like a more, like, how do you have a dominance in your right versus left brain? And he didn't really know a ton to explain it. He was just kind of like, well, you're just like, we're just more, we have more developed on that side. And I just kind of informed them because I think as I've mentioned the past in Terabing, my background is in neuroscience. So I just kind of explained to him, well, that is kind of a psychology concept that often actually just developed whenever it was discovered that one of the language centers is in like the left side of the brain. And then authors like Robert Louis Stevenson got excited. And then it's like, it kind of became embedded in pop culture with things like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde of like this duality that you can have um, of the brain and and things but actually through you know fmri technology and imaging or other just more um better diagnostic tools that doesn't isn't really the case like if you're lesioned at some part in the front of your brain on the right side you can still like to solve math math problem you're utilizing both sides of the brain or something um and even if you're lesioned in one you can still like solve a math problem like the brain adapts well you can you can still paint a picture and like you know art can be seen as orderly not really um always like and this is just to clarify it's like not just because if you're damaged on the left hemisphere or the right hemisphere your other hemisphere is compensating like you're talking about perfectly yeah normal function dual hemisphere brain okay exactly no thank you for clarifying and so so yeah it was just an interesting moment and so he was unaware and I said, well, yeah, so it's fine if you want to still use that term um, to explain the difference in you and your partner. But, uh, you know, just so you know, it's it's not really backed at this time, at least, you know, from neuroscience research. And so it just got me to thinking, and that's why I brought up to Stephanie, of like, what other, whatever the, what other little things are out there that maybe were thought to be fact at some point, but with technology, we've 
and with time and experience we've learned that it's different and not totally true or uh, yeah so things of that nature that's kind of the background for today and this is kind of a big trigger to me because i love uh doing away with people's ignorance shall we say Mm. um clarifying things so that there's less ignorance in the world it's a moment of like not Um, like speaking badly or condescending because i know myself i'm sure i'm getting so many things wrong myself but it's just like if you have a little bit of insight like having a gentle moment of a gentle teaching moment so i definitely don't want to come off as like we're so much better because we're so much more knowledgeable no there there's a lot i don't know and i freely admit this and i'm very open to willing to be willing to learn and uh be corrected so i mean from a place of excitement like like just today like i shared with stephanie what was it today of like did you know that negative 40 degrees celsius is the same negative negative 40 degrees fahrenheit uh, on temperature scales and um and i did not trust her so i did the algebra myself and sure enough it is correct yeah so that is Um, a fun fact so like this podcast we're always about you know challenging questioning having curiosity about things and Mm -hmm. open to learning so we thought it'd be fun to go over a couple fun what we find is fun fun examples of common misconceptions so I think the first one that is freshest to me because I just gave blood yesterday for a donation um, is that blue blood. They, there's a term that's like blue blood. Like some people um, are are classified as blue bloods, or, or they think the veins in the in the body because it's depicted in science textbooks as being blue, um, but really in real life it's not blue. I can confirm it is a lovely dark red just like blood in your vein but i guess the oxygenated one it is a little bit brighter red um due to the hemoglobin attaching to or the oxygen attaching to the hemoglobin um <clears throat> but the vein in your blood is not actually blue despite what textbooks try to show um but that kind of led me to another train of thought um there are people who have slightly bluer tinged looks appearances um i know that there's this family called the fugates who were living in like appalachia in america i think in like the 1800s or so um and they were such an isolated group of people um that i i guess uh created families within themselves so like kept you know um created generations and generations you know themselves that this recessive gene that they had i think it was called like methylo hang on let me look up this term um the methemoglobinemia um (laughs) they have like some blue tinged skin uh because due to elevated levels of methemoglobin in the blood uh, and so they they just it's a recessive trait basically, and it manifests itself as just showing up as blue. Um, and I think potentially a frailer constitution, but I can't remember if that's correct. But uh, they, yeah, so they were known as looking kind of strange, odd, uh, and potentially backwards because it looks like they enter red. Um, that's not the, a nice term. But I don't know how to think of another 
way of saying it. Um, but yeah, but then uh, future generations or subsequent generations, when you know they became less isolated and other settlers came in, uh, they did not exhibit these. Uh, they do not present themselves as being blue anymore because it's such a recessive gene. When another dominant gene comes over, they look more pink. Um, so yeah, it was interesting. There was a, a doctor that came in and he treated the family with methylene blue, which kind of like counteracts these symptoms. So it, it is able to deal with the methemoglobin. Gosh, this word is so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, methylene um, blue is a common dye. Uh, for human blood to detect yeah. like um, um, certain types of blood cells, like pluripotent yeah. like PBMCs, it's common to look at immune yeah. responses and things. Yeah. So that was, I thought that was kind of interesting. And then kind of also led me to thinking blue bloods, like you hear that about royalty as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am not sure if it's because they are also like interbreeding within themselves in the selective gene pool of you know how many royals um or if it you know i think it came to mean like oh we're above it all right because they're like they're other than the rest of us um but oh where was this thing but yeah i think (laughs) that's an interesting connection but yes blood is not actually blue but it is for some, um, like crustaceans, octopuses, certain skinks. Oh, yes. Fish. And I think it's really cool because um, it's different for those cases. I guess I meant for mammals. Yes. Yeah. Good um, point. Because I know like sometimes like fish that live in really, really cold temperatures, like uh-huh. hemoglobin would be really bad. And the oxygen like deep in the ocean um, has a different kind of like usable oxygen oxygen source, so they have a different component in their blood um, that actually makes and it different concentrations too, right? Like if you bring a deep water fish into uh, like an, a lower pressure area, or sorry, a higher pressure area, like closer mm-hmm. to the surface. No, I'm going about this backwards. Yeah, no, yeah. I think it's more related to pressure than it is to oxygen. Ignore me. Yeah. Um, and, and then the temperature as well. Um, so like cold water affecting it. Or like I know like certain like lizards and skinks that like, you know, live on the surface of the earth. Like for whatever reason, with their blood, they develop, they have certain different proteins in their bloodstream um, or like mm-hmm. byproducts that humans don't produce. Or if they do produce, they get filtered out. So sometimes mm-hmm. their blood can be like green in color or, or bluish in color. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. And then I know like, live among us. And then like the horseshoe <laughs> crab is a pretty famous one if you're familiar sure. with medical research. Okay. Because they don't have white blood cells. And um so how do they fight infections? Or do you mean that they just don't have um like immune blood cells? Yeah. And so basically that's so what happens if yeah, to fight infections, that's what um that's what they use for research to test drugs in. Um, it's like a contamination oh, right. test. So okay, they okay. they often take them and they'll drain some of their blood and like return to the wild um, because they're they're from like prehistoric ages. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. they're pretty mm-hmm. pretty. Definitely recommend looking up in Terabang. Horseshoe crabs are pretty wild looking. Um, it's not that it's not that they have lived for millions of years 
um, each individual crab, like Crab Sorry. Bob versus yes. Crab Jane. <laughs> no, uh, the those the species you're saying has not evolved significantly over right. the millions of years. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> thank you for clarifying again. Um, crab Bob, <laughs> crab Bob and Jane. Um, so yeah, if like a way to I know that they test medicines is like if they introduce into the blood and like the blood coagulates or something, then that mm-hmm. could indicate that um, the drug might have some kind of bacteria if it's harmful or not or something. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty standard procedure for FDA approval to do that contamination test using um, horseshoe crab blood. But yeah, I think, yeah, like Stephanie said for humans, no, but yeah, for other, other creatures. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I think I, I- was in researching for this episode that uh, there was a misconception that uh, people believe that hippos produce pink milk, um, which I thought was an unusual conclusion to come to. Yeah. Um, Evidently, there's this hipposudoric acid, which is a red pigment in hippo skin secretions. Um, So maybe they thought skin secretions you mix it with milk it becomes pink no mm. the milk is just plain old whitish beige nothing nothing too glamorous about it <laughs> but it kind of reminds me i guess of like this the uh bantha milk in star wars where i think luke skywalker drinks like blue milk famously <laughs> yeah <laughs> so good reference that was kind of interesting specific yeah. uh another interesting uh, misconception is you know mice eating cheese uh mm. there's been nothing to prove that mice actually eat cheese uh Isn't it also bunnies, they bunnies prefer with carrots? sweet sugary foods carrots don't bode well i don't know for rabbits i, th- well, I think I i've think. seen them eat lettuce i don't know about lettuce carrots is good but life. carrots i don't think are good for them yeah i think um also i read that milk is not good for cats that, that you know, is like true in the cartoons that is true yeah, uh just feed your cat water Particularly because a lot of times you feed cats dry food and yeah. they get dehydrated. Yeah. No, you, there, there's an argument both ways for dry or versus wet food, but I'm just speaking specifically milk. Milk, okay. Yeah, I don't think they're meant to digest cow's milk or goat's milk or anything that isn't another. That's an argument for milk. humans as well. Like, uh, <laughs> I don't want to get into that, but like, <laughs> yeah. It is yeah. kind of interesting when you think about it. It is. I think I read something, and I have not fact-checked this, so apologies if I get the statistic wrong. Um, <clears throat> but I think there is like a higher statistic for East Asians not taking too well to dairy. Like they, they're lactose intolerant compared to, I guess, like the, the Westerners. Mm-hmm. Um and I wonder if it's like, I think it's something like 25% people are not lactose intolerant of the East Asian persuasion as opposed to like, it's a, you know, or maybe I've got it backwards, like 25% are lactose intolerant. I mean the East Asian population? Yeah. Sorry. People who are East Asian ethnic, ethnically. Sorry, you said East Asian persuasion. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Yes. Population <laughs> ethnicity. Um, okay. Sorry, you know they identify as East Asian. <laughs> Asian persuasion. I'm sorry. 
I kind of like the ring of it, actually. Uh, yes, it's a so, lyric in some songs. <laughs> is it? Yeah. I mean, yeah, if they haven't used it, they've missed a trick there. Um, yes, East Asian persuasion. Uh, I, I don't think genetically they were meant to, I guess, meant is a different thing. Um, they, they're able to digest the lactase enzyme very well. <laughs> so... Or they don't have the lactase enzyme to digest the lactose very well. So, uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of a curiosity. There's also the Asian flush. We were off topic now, but like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it's Asian flush because, yeah, they're def- in certain Asian populations, it's an inherited deficiency in one of the enzymes that helps break down alcohol. So, it's, I think it's uh aldehyde dehydrogenase so after consuming alcohol mm-hmm. yeah it's harder to break it down and what happens for whatever reason is yeah the red flush where you kind of get a little bit red in the face and the throat and the neck area and it's typical in was, does this happen also to like lighter skin caucasian people because i think i've seen that as well not as much um okay. but it also deals with just a tolerance level too sometimes uh, you can actually get enough. a little sick because you can't break it down, okay. break down that um, part of the aspect of the alcohol. But anyways, off topic. <laughs> would you would you like to hear some animal related scientific misconceptions or non animal related scientific? We did some animal ones already. But let's hear. Yeah, let's keep going. I know you had a good list. I had a good list for both of them. So okay, we'll keep going with animals for for now. Yeah. Uh, there is this um, famous meme cry of what sounds like a bald eagle, um, like ah! you know, <laughs> I'm doing a bad interpretation of it. But it if you if you look up bald eagle cry on like YouTube or or you hear that um, like sponsor eagle sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually the red-tailed hawk, not the bald eagle. The bald eagle kind of like chirps more. It's kind of a lovely, cute sound. Mm. Uh, so unfortunately, it's not the red-tailed, or it's not the bald eagle. It's not the sign of America, as people <laughs> would like to believe. Uh, piranhas are not just carnivorous. They are actually omnivorous. So they eat um, plants, but the protein does help. From- <laughs> they eat everything, I thought. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. I think I think in movies they famously are like you know they just eat at humans, but they, they can eat yeah anything like you said. Interesting as well. Hmm. Um, something I hadn't really considered: ostriches' heads in their in the sand. That's yeah. apparently not a real thing. <laughs> Pliny the Elder, I think, way back in ancient Roman times. Uh, I think he wrote something about like imagining um, ostriches putting their heads and necks in their bush in the bush and uh, them thinking that they were invisible, but there's nothing <laughs> tied to them actually putting their heads in the sand. Hmm. Um, so, yeah. Oh, the head in the bush and then thinking that uh, they're actually invisible. Oh, yeah. I apologize to the ostriches that... Uh we're offended by that yes poor dear ostriches um all right now it's next now it's time to roast the wolves 
the wolves <laughs> um there are no such thing as alpha wolves wolves are very family oriented mm-hmm. so it's not necessarily like they oh, the, the pack um, structure yeah it's the pack structure but you know it's not like one wolf is the wolf it's not like the sons of the wolves you know go out and fight the alpha wolf um to and then go form a new pack they just do their own thing like they operate like any family does Mm -hmm. and it's not like they howl more or less for the phases of the moon either that is also a misconception they just howl to alert each other in a normication just like any other creature so unfortunately that tears down the entire werewolf movie industry <laughs> or tv show industry call this episode uh, bubbles yeah 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 and then another one uh different creature now the elephant graveyard famously featured in uh, the lion king when simba is very sad about his dad and goes to the elephant graveyard to talk to scar uh does not exist elephants don't just go off from the herd to die i think they just die wherever they want (laughs) wherever they need to die uh yep that's elephants um bulls uh you know like you think in uh toreadors bulls like the bull runs um the matadors sorry yes uh they are not necessarily enraged by red the color red i think famously you've seen the matador fights the the matador is flashing a red blanket or piece of cloth um it's not so much that the red is enraging them because i don't think they see the color necessarily very well it's more the motion of this flapping cloth that Mm -hmm. um i think triggers them to like run towards it uh so yeah oh another one lemmings they are redeemed <laughs> lemmings uh the poor little creatures little rodents Who started that nasty rumor that's what i want to know um so it originated in the 19th century origin um is unknown but it was very popularized in uh i believe wikipedia called it a documentary by disney called white wilderness um and so turns out lemmings don't actually walk off cliffs and just because one walks off a cliff doesn't mean the rest of them walk off a cliff so they are just very happy you know creatures that just want to live or just keep living but was there not footage showing what were they actually hopping off to i i have to admit my research was not so thorough for this I've seen the clip. Uh, i did not it watch the white wilderness documentary hopping off a cliff did they but it's not clear if it's like like if there's like a i don't know if it was triggered and they're just, like they're just hopping up or or, or... Did, was something chasing them you know like no no it's, you don't it know behind the scenes uh, i can show you after this um okay oh that's so it is it is actually sad. really confusing as to what they are doing um right maybe they're finding water and they're really thirsty and they were just trying to yeah i'll, we'll show, I'll, watch, I'll to show you the drink. clip after this to see what you, your interpretation is but okay yeah it i feel like it's pretty convincing of what the yeah the st- story was no it's, it's not true but it's not true they don't go off they don't it's do correct it. they 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 just keep living there we go um, and last one for the animal section is dog and cat ages. Um, I think it's famous that uh, dog ages. I think we talked about this in early, early days, early what about days uh, that 
dog years are like seven times human mm-hmm. years or something like that, right? Yeah. Um, and I think I would look the same thing up for cats at one point. Uh, they that's not true. I think dogs, most dogs, um, around year one become an adolescent, and most cats by year one um, become full adults. I guess I thought when I grew up, and then I, did, I never thought that that was accurate. I just thought that that helped us put in perspective of their of their life expectancy. Well, here's the thing: small and medium like sized dogs. dogs yeah. It doesn't make sense. Tend for, to for age size. slower yeah. than um, bigger dogs do. Yeah. Bigger dogs, I guess, because they have to, you know, have the blood pumped to all kinds of their bodies, and you know, a lot of things are circulating around. So like I, I think they have a shorter life expectancy up, so for like, that. Yeah. So living to like eleven or twelve, like to me, it actually made mm-hmm. sense or dog years. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. Yeah, like, like eighty-four. Yeah, like whereas like short, smaller and medium dogs, because I guess they don't have to expend all the energy to like you know as far. I don't know what the case is. Um, they can live longer than bigger dogs. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That's it. And then as a kind of tangent spinning off from animal related misconceptions to non-animal related misconceptions. Uh jellyfish things. Um what what's a common way to treat a jellyfish sting, do you think, from the top of your someone head? pees on it? That's what any uh-huh. fish is yeah spoken about no, and like it's in that. movies and stuff yeah don't do it please don't it's don't just, do it it's gonna ruin friendships i think <laughs> I, I read that someone or some people think that urine is like sterile it's not that hot that it's that sterile it's not and i think the um, electrolytes and a bunch of different proteins and things inside the urine is actually going to harm more than help your your damaged foot or whatever also, you honestly, call like, that jellyfish thing through like the urethral opening is not sterile no either so it's very out of the get go it's already done i think there's also like home remedies of like putting um like mayonnaise or something on it don't i think so what i read to treat a jellyfish thing properly rinse it with vinegar which sounds like it's gonna hurt but I think it's going to remove some of the toxins um, and then use the tweezers to like remove the tentacles. So yeah. I guess carry an extra pair of tweezers with you, seep it in hot water for 20 to 40 minutes um, and under no circumstances, like put cold water or ice. Cause that's just going to increase inflammation and then put some cortisone cream um, after it's been, you know, soaking. So uh, also yeah. be open to receiving like formal medical treatment and not like going home and trying to get through it yes yes definitely if you have um a medical professional available please listen to what they're saying yeah (laughs) Uh, so yeah hopefully life-saving advice here another one um if you're out and about adventuring uh quicksand unlike the movies the great video showing this yeah i'm gonna link it drown quicksand technically and not so um if you smack at it really hard really quickly uh you're not gonna like penetrate the sand you're just gonna like it's gonna bounce off and uh if you kind of sit in there and just kind of stew you will kind of sink but not too much 
right? So there, there is a possibility of getting stuck in the quicksand, um, but not drowning in the quicksand because that involves water. And unless your quicksand is like in a beach or something where there's tides and the tide rises, that's the only time you drown in the quicksand. But yeah, yeah. so there's a there's that church, uh, San Michel, off of the coast of France. Okay. where um, it's kind of like not on an island, but it's just off the coast. So depending on the mm-hmm. tide, it's either an island or you can actually walk across to mm-hmm. it. And mm-hmm. that there's a video we'll link in Bang, but it's a great demonstration by a tour guide of showing how to get in and out of the quicksand that's let, remained whenever the tide recedes for what you just described, Stephanie. Mm. Um, yeah. But I feel like that was such that's- a... I feel like quicksand is like a fear people have of like cartoons growing up and yeah. they grow up thinking it's just really really scary and then you don't really come across it because of that reason of it's has it requires specific environmental conditions to form yeah i think yeah i was gonna say i don't live in a bog so i don't really have much opportunity to go and try and find quicksand get out of me or any of that nature trying to quote shrek <laughs> that was supposed to shrek <laughs> okay accents aside i can't uh, swallowing I can. gum scottish Ooh, this is a good one swallowing gum you do not it does not sit in your stomach forever it doesn't even sit for seven years it gets passed through like any other food um or indigestible substance That's a good one yeah yeah. Um, I also thought, I think growing up, that if you ate watermelon seeds, you'd also grow a watermelon plant inside you. What? No, your stomach acid is incredibly acidic. I think it's like pH 2.0 or 2.3. Depends on what uh, part incredibly of the, of the acidic. digestive tract, but yeah, yeah, not going to make it. No. Um, so, yeah, it's just going to get dissolved or pooped out. So, there you go. Um, <laughs> knuckle cracking. I love this one. Um, so there's an old wives tale that says that if you crack your knuckles, you're going to get arthritis, osteoarthritis. Uh, I love that the fact that there is this one scientist who got told this by his mother when he was young and decided to, on one hand, crack his knuckles and on the other hand, did not crack his knuckles and kept this up for his entire life. Who has that level of self-control? I mean, that's absolutely. But also, admirable. he needs to use both hands evenly. Yes. So I don't know if he uses it evenly, but um, you know, hat- hats off to him yes, for attempting and proving that you don't develop arthritis because um, his hand did not uh, worsen or you know not worsen, but you know. It, I have a it question. Did not develop when we yet. say when we say old wives' tale, do we are we is old in reference to the age of the wives or age of the tale? I think age of the tale is how That's I always I think, took it. But sometimes I always wonder. <laughs> <laughs> you think you think only old ladies can come up with these? I don't because of their gained wisdom through life experience. I mean that is also I don't, potentially you know, true. Just, but you have to have more than sometimes one wife. Wives can be quite young, you know, and they might not have all the life wisdom. 
I just want to, I just, sure. I'm just questioning the credentials of the wives a little bit. Okay. And may I ask, why does it have to be wives? You know? Yeah. I think I've heard like old fishermen's tales. Yeah. Again, are they old fishermen or old tales? <laughs> I guess. Also, why can't you have a fisherman old... who's a wife? As well. Can the you fisher be called... woman? Fisher a fisher woman. Fisher woman who's a wife. Yeah. Yeah. Is that Makes extra is that extra insightful? Um that's a great question. I think they would have lived a lot, so I think <laughs> I think yes. I think that inherently their tails mean more because they may be fishy in nature. Mm. Um, yeah, you know. So bravo, bravo, bravo. Uh-huh. Yes. You're welcome. Uh oh, unfortunately I don't have any fish related things other than the piranhas. But taste buds, I mean that's the closest thing you can get. <laughs> go for it. What? Just go for it. Uh I mean it's it's like you eat fish. Do fish so have taste buds? buds? Uh no, this is not fish having taste buds. But I do don't they... know about this. You can look this up. Um so while Michelle's looking up if fish have taste buds. Uh, I will tell you that human taste buds um, in school, I was taught that there are like five different zones, um, you know, for tasting the different things, uh, flavors, sensations. Sweet was supposedly in the front of your tongue, the tip of your tongue. Tip of your tongue. Um, I think, was it sour or bitter? It was kind of like on the side of the tongue, umami. They don't really have a place for umami. Um, I forgot what the other one was. What's what's the fifth sensation of taste, Michelle? Sweet, sour, salty, bitter. Salty. Salty was somewhere on the side as well, I think. Okay. Maybe the center. But that's false. It's everywhere. You taste sweet everywhere. You taste salty everywhere. You taste bitter everywhere. Oh, I see I what you're saying. This, yeah. The, the, the zones is the zones. A, a fallacy. So here's something um, wild. Yeah. About the fish thing. Do say. Just just off the press here. So yes, fish do have taste buds. Um, mm. Yeah. They can distinguish between sweet, sour, salty, and bitter. Um, but check this out. The channel catfish. Mm-hmm has taste buds near the mouth and on the barbells like the whiskers of catfish but mm-hmm. also its entire body is covered in taste buds oh imagining tasting everything so tasting everything that you're in contact with having a taste i mean i, I wonder think snakes what do that saying. too they kind of snakes smell right with their tongues yeah, so like yeah, they yeah, yeah. smell the air they smell everything they lick um so yeah, that's wild. I don't think I'd want that to be honest. I'm just like thinking about everything that my body's in contact with right now. I wouldn't um, want because I would I would want it to be if it was the case, I would hope that the taste buds in my mouth are much more dominant. Otherwise, I'm just like diving into a giant vat of cookie dough. <laughs> I I I want it for di- I, I don't want this for a different reason. Um like when you smell poop and farts, you're smelling little molecules that come from that. Ruin my cookie dough so, example. I, I don't a nice want... image, and you're like, oh, here we go. 
I don't want little bits of poop and fart to taste. I think I'm fine without that. Thank you very much. Sm- smelling is already a little overwhelming, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, but related to, to fish, there's no such thing as a fish. Um, as in, there are so many different types of things we call fish that it's kind of tough to group them into a single category. Yeah. So yeah, for example, just, yeah. Yeah. Like they're they're ichthyosaurus related or ichthy basically backbone based fish, right? Like your your tilapia, your catfish. Um but then there's like your jellyfish which technically you know, they're they're non-vertebra, invertebra. <laughs> There's also like your eels, which present very themselves very differently, and your tube worms, which I think are they fish. They're more like anemones, you know. More like nightmares. Um, no, yeah. the nightmares are lampreys. Yes, uh, which I think are more closely related, if I recall correctly, um, to the like leeches. Right, they're like mol- or hagfish, like hagfish right? or something. Um, and those are very primitive fish because it's just oh everything God. goes in and out of. Don't look. Do tube. not look it up. Do they're not. awful, but apparently quite tasty. No, they're not. Um, there's like hagfish stew and stuff like that. No, they're not. Uh, there's also there's also starfish, which I think now they're more popularly called sea stars. But when I was growing up, they call them starfish. But apparently not fish. In vertebra, they can separate themselves um, a lot. Like you can segment a limb and then it'll grow a whole new starfish out of that. You can't do that to, to a bony fish. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that, that's a fun fact. Uh, another one is, oh, okay. Three more left. Uh, okay. So you mentioned eels, and we had a cool one about not electric eels, but like lightning. That was cool. Oh yes, I think it's a fallacy that lightning is uh, can only strike once in a location. I think the Empire State Building. I think I read uh, it can strike. I think it strikes gets struck stricken uh, at least a hundred times a year. And one of my because favorite stories. It, it has the poles on the top. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's got the poles. To. So it's like, it's quite high. Like, it's probably a good thing. Most that it sky, like a lot of skyscrapers do. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in New York City. Um, one of my favorite stories is this guy. He's a legend to me. Honestly, hats off to him in many regards. His name is Roy Sullivan. He's a ranger, or he was a ranger in Virginia. And this guy got stricken. Uh, by lightning at least seven times i think there's actually eight but he couldn't prove the the eighth one the um, the eighth one that's supposedly technically the first one was when he was a child and uh he was helping his father cut wheat in a field and thunderbolt uh struck the blade of his scythe without injuring him so i thought that was pretty cool and then (laughs) the subsequent seven times were all recorded by one of his fellow like superintendent ranger people and um it's it's pretty incredible i gotta give this guy justice i'm gonna read the wikipedia article straight as it is um so his first documented lightning strike 
was in April 1942. Um, he said to have been hiding from a thunderstorm in a fire lookout tower. The tower is newly built and had no lightning around the time, and it's said to have been struck uh, seven, eight times. And so Sullivan described the scene from within the tower, <laughs> saying fire was jumping all over the place. Sullivan said to then have run out from the burning tower just before him being struck a few feet away by lightning. It burned half a half inch strip all along his right leg, hit his toe, and left a hole in his shoe. Oh my gosh. So that sounds pretty traumatic. Okay. And then number two, he was hit again in July 1969. I think that's when the the um moon landing happened. Anyways, unusually he was hit while in his truck driving on a mountain road. The metal body of a vehicle normally protects pe- ve- people from lightning strikes by acting as a Faraday cage. Lightning first hit nearby trees and was deflected into the open window of the truck. The strike knocked Sullivan unconscious and burned off his eyebrows and eyelashes and set his hair on fire. The uncontrolled truck kept moving until it stopped near a cliff edge. Harrowing. That oh, guy. Wow. I mean, he survived his Crazy. Mm-hmm. And then number three, in July. 1970, so literally a year later, Sullivan was struck while in his front yard. The lightning hit a nearby power transformer and from there jumped to his left shoulder, searing it. That's all they say about that one. <laughs> so <laughs> he's got a leg injury at this point, um, eyebrow, eyelash, and hair on fire, <laughs> and uh, left shoulder. Okay, number four. In spring 1972, Sullivan was working inside of the ranger station in Shenandoah National Park when he was struck again. It set his hair on fire again. He tried to smother it, the flames with his jacket. He then rushed into the restroom but could not fit under the water tap, so he used a wet towel instead. Although he was never a fearful man, after the fourth strike, he began to believe that some force was trying to destroy him, and he acquired a fear of death. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah. For months, whenever he was caught in a storm while driving his truck, he would pull over and lie down in the front seat until the storm passed. He also began to believe that he would somehow attract lightning even if he stood in a crowd of people and carried a can of water in case <laughs> his hair was set Aww, on fire. Oh, gosh. The poor dude so traumatized. Well, yeah, I would be. All right. I would be too, but we're not quite done yet. Number five. <laughs> August 7th, 1973. So this is happening on an almost yearly basis at this point. Yeah. Um, when he was out on patrol in the park, Sullivan saw a storm cloud forming and drove away quickly. <laughs> That's running away at every storm. Oh, oh, horrible. But the cloud, he said later, seemed to be following him. When he finally thought he'd outrun it, he thought it was safe to leave his truck. Oh, no. (laughs) It was by lightning bolt. (laughs) Zeus thinks otherwise. Sullivan stated that he actually saw the bolt that hit him. The lightning moved down his left arm and left leg, knocking off his shoe. It then crossed over to his right leg, just below the knee. Still conscious, Sullivan crawled to his truck and poured the can of water, which he always kept there, over his head, which was on fire. Always on fire. Oh, I'm so sorry, but it's just so much misfortune. Number six, <laughs> the next strike on June 5th, 1976. So he's had about six years of reprieve, although I don't know if it's technically reprieve if he's terrified for his oh, life. Yeah. Um, he injured his ankle. It was reported that he saw a cloud, thought it was following him, tried to run away, but was struck anyways. Oh, no. Because he's fire. Oh, number seven this is the last one 
Mm-hmm. On Saturday morning, June 25th, 1977, Sullivan was struck while fishing in a freshwater pond. The lightning hit the top of his head, set his hair on fire, traveled oh, down, and burnt his chest and stomach. <gasps> Sullivan turned his turned to his car when something unexpected occurred. A bear pushed the pond and tried to steal trout from his fishing line. So rude! Sullivan had the strength and courage to strike the bear with the tree branch. He claimed this was the 22nd time he hit a bear with a stick in his lifetime. Oh, oh my. And so um, the Wikipedia article goes on to say on the morning of September 28th, 1983, he died um, at age 71 from a self inflicted gunshot wound to the head. Um, oh, so no. not due to lightning, but maybe he was just so traumatized. Oh, but he lived no. to a ripe old age. He was seventy-one, you know. So he he definitely lived a life. Yeah. And I his his wife apparently was also <laughs> struck once um, when a storm suddenly arrived. And she was hanging out clothing in the backyard. Her husband was helping her at the time, but escaped unharmed. So good for her. Good for him. I'm sorry for her, but I'm glad it did not also happen to her multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um well that's wild though. It's uh, so unlucky. It's, it it really is. So you know there is a statistic of you know being one in a million actually it's one in ten thousand um of being hit. And so the probability of him being hit seven times or is uh, one. And then there's 28 zeros after this, I believe. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yep. 28 zeros at the end. I don't even know the number. Like, is it called quadrillion? I don't know. How to read it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's that. Not quite a Google, but about a fourth of the way there. <laughs> Maybe more. <laughs> <laughs> so um there's that uh some more quick fire ones um capsaicin uh the the heat found in chili peppers it's not actually in the seeds it's actually in the pith of the seeds like the um, the tissue that is connecting the seed to the actual uh inside bit of the chili um the fleshy bit uh, another and chicken, one is and the chickens lack, and chickens lack their receptor so they don't are not affected by spicy foods i think all birds are all yeah birds? i just know chickens for sure i don't know about all birds i think i was reading something that said birds just don't have that so that's why they can eat like some spicy peppers and that's why they can poop it out and then grow uh you know and even though the chili peppers evolved tried to get that capsaicin in so that it would deter other animals from from being able to eat them which is an interesting adaptation um the sun it looks yellow to us sort of uh it's technically classified as a yellow dwarf star you know children always color the sun in as yellow with sunglasses and stuff there's no sunglasses but i think everyone knew that um it's actually also not technically very yellow looking it only looks yellow to us because of the atmosphere so it's actually kind of white colored, but I think yellow dwarf star, I think that refers to the time scale of how old the sun is actually. So, yep, there's that. And another one, let's see, uh, waterlogged phones. Um, you put them in rice. I mean, it kind of works, but 
silica gel or cat litter, they're better at absorbing liquids, fluids. So if you have any of those, uh, silica gel, like the desiccants that you find in like bags of chips or something like that, um, definitely helpful. Uh, so yes. Oh, carrots, enhancing night vision. They don't actually enhance night vision. Um, I think I knew somebody who tried to eat too many carrots and just turned more yellow or orange than anything and their vision did not improve. Uh, it was actually a fallacy spreaded by the British side when they were fighting World War II. Uh, it was a lie that they made up in order to fight off uh, to, to explain why their airplanes were suddenly hitting all their German targets a lot better than expected. Mm. And they said, oh, our pilots are just eating more carrots. Actually, oh, no, they, were, they actually had radar and you know um like actual science equipment to help them uh do this not just carrots and vitamin a i think it helps a little bit for people who are deficient in that right but not to the point where you it helps can see it helps you kind of maintain and yeah it's a little bit but not like reversing that much and yeah so yeah those are the main cool ones that we wanted to get out. So thanks for listening, guys. I like those. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, music list. Um, it's kind of a hodgepodge of what I've been listening to recently. Mm-hmm. Um, some from BBC Radio 6 that I've heard and some from my recent Spotify releases. Uh, I'm going to start off with... Uh, Radiohead's Weird Fishes Arpeggi. Now, I know this is not a new song at all but i kind of i'm kind of learning to get into radiohead um so this one has been recommended because the second song that i'm recommending are, um is a cover of uh, radiohead's arpeggi it's by kelly Lee owens from her inner song album and it's it's a strange one it's kind of like uh synthesizers are used but it feels kind of like breathing and uh, I don't know, like it's like if you're trying to code and it's kind of like if a movie montage was made of people coding, <laughs> this would be the music. <laughs> and similarly, the following song, Fleeting Future, um, by an artist called Ak- Akuzmi, um, who is releasing an album called Fleeting Future later on in June 24th, I believe. Um, that song, Fleeting Future, also sounds like uh coding music but like very cool it's very repetitive i think the theme of this track list of this playlist is kind of like cool mellow music um cool i guess subjective but it's well, pensive. jazzy that's a jazzy tone to it so i guess it's kind oh of- yes and it's i think it was described to me as cosmic jazz i I believe is the the t- the term that is used for the marketing. So I've never heard of a term called cosmic jazz, like space jazz. Like, no, it's cosmic. Like it's it goes beyond <laughs> the space. Yeah. So um, I guess it is kind of spacey, but is it most jazz kind of spacey? Anyways, <laughs> um, if you if you got more cosmic jazz, please feel free to let us know. Uh, the next song is kind of quite different from the rest of the lot. Um, it's called Green Green Grass by our boy George Ezra, who's releasing his album Gold Rush Kid on June 10th. 
Um, and yeah, it's it's kind of different. How would you describe it? You heard this one, Michelle? Yeah, I think it's like, yeah, you're kind of cruising down a sunny, sunny road on a road trip with some friends, and it's got a nice cadence to it. So it goes well if you're going, you know, 60, 70 miles an hour, uh cruising along, mm-hmm. winding through mm-hmm. maybe some rolling hills or something. Okay. Happy days, basically, right? Yeah. Yep. Good. Yep. 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 Next one is kind of if you're it's it's a little bit of the opposite. It's called Smoke State. <laughs> um, it's it's an entire album by Mike Dean. It's Smoke State, uh four and then there's four digits of twos after this. So four two 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 two. two. Um, and I think it's because he released it on April twenty second. 22 um but it's the third album from his 420 series and 422 i think he released in the past few years and so now this is 422 22 <laughs> i hope i read that correctly but it's a very uh, pensive album it's got basically four songs in it but he's amplified it to become um 20 songs because the other songs from like tracks 5 to 20 are supposedly stems quote unquote um from like extensions of the first four songs so i thought that was kind of an interesting concept um the first extension off of the first song is basically just blank it's like john cage's thing of four minutes 33 seconds where there's just absolute silence but you're supposed to listen for like audience coughing um because that's the whole art of it I don't know what the art of this one is because I'm not very fancy in that persuasion, but uh, it's an interesting concept. I, I kind of like, I think, Chapter 4 is Stem 2. That one's a decent one, but I think they're all pretty good. Uh, the next one is Oliver Arnold um, with the Reykjavik Recording Orchestra. Um, he has a song called Loom, Sunrise Session 2. And he has another song called Loom um, that he released with Bonobo, I think, earlier. But I kind of like this acoustic instrumental version. I guess not acoustic is not the right word because it's got orchestrations. Um, but it's just very nice and pensive. Um, and yeah, Oliver Arnold's got it. I like him. I'm, I'm learning more about him. Uh, Michelle, you said that you've had some experience listening to his music before. He has a nice variety. He really is kind of atmospheric in learning how to draw out notes in the music. And yeah, I feel like it's like intimate yet atmospheric with his music. Yeah, that's a good description. Um, Liminal, after this, uh, by Cold... Excuse me. By Cold Minds, it's kind of like that. It's kind of atmospheric. I think we've talked about liminal, the word liminal before. It's kind of like the transient nature between two states. Um, and so I thought this was kind of like a nice in-between of like a very chill, like almost going to sleep state. So it's transition between the wakefulness and the sleeping state. And uh, the second one also called liminal, but this time the Brambles remix uh, by Luke Howard, Stria and Brambles, of course. It's a little more... Um, I don't know, like a little, a little techno-y, a little calming. It's kind of a strange description, but it's pretty good. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. Yield, um, by Leo Abrams. 
is next. It's also pretty um, chill, very instrumental. I mean, the whole thing, most of this list is instrumental anyways. Um, there's some lovely piano in it. I can't quite remember how it sounds, but it's it's really nice and soothing. And so is uh, Wonder by Aaron Von Selm. Um, and it's also of a very nice, lovely sounding, relaxing feel. And then uh, farther away, I think this is pretty much an all piano sound. And it's been a while since we did like all piano music. And I think this one's kind of a nice, soothing, pensive, almost like cafe feel, like pensive mm. Parisian cafe, gotcha. rainy yeah. day kind of thing. That's nice. And then the last one I want to end with is called Moonlight Kiss by John Adamick. Lovely title. that one is, it's... I thought I'm like with a title like that, it's got to live up to a bit, you know, mm-hmm. and it really does feel like the end of a movie. <laughs> it feels so sweet. It feels mm. so warm, lovely, a lot of hygge there. Um, yeah. You know, and it just, it just, it just feels like a lot of love altogether. Um, not necessarily like passionate, but just very sweet, very um, wholesome feeling. And uh yeah, that's the that's the playlist for today. Send you off into the night or the morning or the afternoon or whatever time of day it may be. Um, yeah, we hope you enjoy this episode. Yes. Thank you, Stephanie, for sharing all of that. I look forward to listening to it on the Spotify playlist. Yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs>